As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. On Fridays, we'll be here to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action and I've got my co-host George Ellick and Bet365 Steve Freeth alongside me to help out. How are you both? I'm okay. I'm uh, I'm, I'm still awaiting um, more messages from Manchester United fans after the yeah. uh, after the performance <laughs> and the result uh, on the weekend um, because I think a fair few of them didn't really like my fifth place prediction and fair to say that the performance uh, made me look a little bit foolish at this early <laughs> stage. I was just happy that I managed to get the um, the BTTS and over two and a half up because at least that helped me save face a little bit thanks to a Luke Ailing 30-yard wonder strike. Yeah, I mean, we, we all said a lot of things on last week's show, but Manchester United were listening to you, George. They certainly gave you a response. Mm. Steve, what did, what did you make of the weekend and what, what were the big moves at 365 after the first round of matches? Yeah, great weekend, Dan, for me. I listened to a bit of uh, Elton John on Saturday. <laughs> Saturday night's all right, I thought. So, so, and, uh, so did I, unfortunately. <laughs> and, uh, and and Rocketman, of course, with Saar down the right-hand side. But uh, yes, and it was... Uh, it was a great weekend. Uh, loads of changes, as you'd expect. Manchester City, after that slow start, like Pep told us that would happen, have gone from four to six to eleven to ten. So they've they're now odds are against. And Chelsea, Liverpool, and Manchester United have all shortened. Chelsea are now actually second favourites at seven to two. And at the bottom, of course, uh, their Premier League uh, struggles continue. Uh, Norwich eight to eleven. You know, a heavy defeat without scoring. But I think Daniel Farker's got some excuses after their pre-season. Palace one shot on target. They're six to five now to be relegated. Uh, Brentford up next for them, of course, who were fantastic on the Friday night. The Clarets five to two into six to four. I'm sure we'll talk about them later. I'd better just mention the Villa Dan eight to one now to I be relegated after that. And then <laughs> I might be cutting that price even further when Steve Bruce leaves B6 with all three points on Saturday. <laughs> Don't be silly, Steve. Do not be silly. What about Arsenal? Arsenal are the ones you should be talking about, not, yeah, not 30, Villa. 33s, pal. But so they are. They are at four times the price of We are, of course, going to talk a fair bit about betting today. And so it's important that first we remind all our listeners to please gamble responsibly. And George, I believe you've got some solid tips for how we can make sure we're all doing that. 
Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners to this podcast are in control of their gambling and worth reminding you this is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older and that you're only staking what you can afford to lose. Do make sure you visit BeGambleAware.org for any information and to ensure that you are gambling responsibly. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, George. And just a quick plug for The Athletic before we dive in. Let me quickly remind you that you can sign up at the moment and you'll save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sport. So that's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. All you've got to do is go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and you'll be able to do just that. First game then, Liverpool v Burnley, Steve and Jota started ahead of Firmino mm. last week. Might have been a surprise, but is this the first signs of Liverpool moving away from that famed front three? Well, I mean, they've been they've been fantastic, haven't they, over the years? Um, you know, ex- expected goals, uh, fans of that will know about Firmino over the last three seasons. He was underachieved uh, with his goals for last season, eight by the season before. Uh, and Jota was, was, you know, overscored by two last season. Um Listen, Firmino is more than a goal scorer, isn't he, in that Liverpool setup? He, he brings so much more to the side in that false nine. But I think it helps the fact that you've got four of them now to mix it up just a little bit. And maybe Firmino might be playing for his future. I know a few other big names have actually signed contracts recently. I'm not sure he has, but a great start for him, nevertheless, that, uh, last weekend at Norwich. Yeah, we kind of talked about Liverpool, George, that, that there'd be an improvement. Van Dijk coming back would be massive. And as soon as Virgil van Dijk comes back, they look like the Liverpool of old. <laughs> Yeah, they did. I mean, it was a, although I'm a fan of this Norwich side, it was a perfect game for this Liverpool season to get underway and forget the difficulties of of the last campaign. And I thought Norwich at times looked fairly tidy on the ball. They created probably more chances than a fair few teams will create against Liverpool this season. Um, But it felt to me like this was the beginning of yet another title tilt for Liverpool. You mentioned Jota there, who I think offers something more than just quality uh, in that centre, or the the false nine role, as Steve said, but also just options across the front three, where Firmino does come in, Jota's very capable of playing on the left-hand side and uh, in that Mane role as well, Um, and providing competition for that front three has got to be a good thing. So with so many more players still to come into the first team, you know, you look at that Liverpool team and yes, Van Dijk is back and Matip is back, Uh, Robertson obviously out with his his injury set to come back, but the midfield three of Keita, Milner and Oxlade-Chamberlain, you'd be pretty surprised to see that midfield three starting again at any time this season with the likes of Henderson, uh, Fabinho and Thiago all to come in as well. So it was a pretty good start to, to this campaign and I think there's more still to come from this Liverpool side. Yeah, and Steve, talking of Jordan Henderson, the man, David Ornstein, finds out everything first at the Athletic. <laughs> looks, like he's gonna sign, yeah. looks like he's going to sign a three-year contract with the option of a fourth. George has just mentioned that not much seen midfield makeup on Saturday. Is there still a place for Jordan Henderson in this Liverpool side? I would say so. Fantastic, uh, you know, leadership as as well that he brings to the football club. He's uh, he's had a great career there after being written off at the start, and he's just gone from strength to strength there. I'd, I'd imagine that uh, a fit and firing Jordan Henderson would definitely in the, in in Jurgen Klopp's starting eleven. Yeah, I, I think that the key with Henderson seems to be that he's worth more to Liverpool than he could ever be worth to any other club. I mean, I don't think anybody sitting here thinking that Jordan Henderson is one of the most technically gifted centre midfielders in, in European football. But for what he's overseen there as captain, for the relationship he has with Jurgen Klopp and the players and the fans, just him being in the building for the next three or four years is a massive positive for them and it helps that he's also a very good midfielder who can at a stretch play in that sitting role but most comfortably on the on the right hand side of the three too so a big signing and I think if this contract saga had rolled on and it had ended with Henderson leaving it would have been the first 
sign of, of this Jurgen Klopp era a Liverpool ending uh, and with his long-term future secured I think we can see them continue to build uh, under his management yeah it's a good thing as well after the after the well I, was, I say it was a negative season last season but in the end they ended it quite well and ended up getting that fourth place and getting the getting the Champions League football but in the midst of that bad run maybe the start of the bad run Burnley won at Anfield yeah. but this time Steve the Anfield roars there that wasn't there last time it is, of course. I mean, Burnley were only 9-1 to one to win last season, Dan, there. Of course, they ended Liverpool's 68-game unbeaten run. Um, so, there were only nines. And I think they might have played Liverpool. I'll say at the right time, of course, because Liverpool was still unbeaten. But they hadn't won in four games, I think, in the league since Christmas. They dropped points against the Albion, for goodness sake. Uh, Newcastle and Southampton as well. I know they beat your kids, didn't they, in, in, in the FA Cup. But they've drawn it home to United. And that, and that Burnley defeat started a run of uh, six home defeats for them. However... I think there are slight concerns um, about Burnley. Of course, that's why they are a sixteen to one shot. But we are actually six to one down for them to uh, to make it a fortress this season, as it has been previously. So six to one to go unbeaten at Anfield in the Premier League, and they're actually a hundred to one with ourselves to go unbeaten throughout the whole Premier League. Uh, Steve's one of those typical West Brom fans that can remember every single Aston Villa defeat, but I bet he couldn't <laughs> name every West Brom win. George Burnley, they kind of feel like they need a playing staff refresh. At this point, it's, it's very same, isn't it? Year after year at the moment. I, I think they might struggle this season. Yeah, I think they might. Um, Steve will, will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're now six to four to, for relegation with bet three six five, which is which is a fair snip after after week week one. I think part of that will be because both Brentford and Watford uh, had unexpected wins, two of the favourites for relegation. Um, and there seems to be this idea that you know it happened in the past with Sam Allardyce that, that Sean Dyche guarantees you Premier League safety and especially with kind of my betting hat on binary sweeping generalisations like that just, just aren't true you know you look at Burnley's first, last five seasons in the top flight yes they came seventh one season and had one, one very other good mid-table finish but in the other three they've got 40 points 40 points and 39 points that is just keeping ahead above water in terms of not getting relegated they finished 17th last season they are a couple of other sides having decent seasons away from getting relegated and you know they're, they're being linked to certain players in the press at the moment that suggest they have an understanding that they have to improve um, but I, I definitely am concerned for them uh, and I think after an opening day defeat against Brighton where they hit the woodwork twice when they were 1-0 up and ended up losing the game 2-1 um, it would take a brave man to predict they'll get anything from this one uh, I, th- I think it's a case of Last season was a, an uncharacteristically poor Premier League season, given the teams that went down were, were just so abject for, for big parts of it that, uh, that if we don't see an improvement from Burnley this time around, they could be in trouble. Yes, uh, George, I would add to that. Their home form has to be a worry as well for me at Turf Moor. I know in 2021, they went away at Palace and Everton and uh, Wolves and, and, and Fulham as well. But uh, I think we all associate you know, the, the tricky trip to Turf Moor, don't we? And I don't think that was last season. And of course, as you mentioned last week, where they looked so much in control in that first half, Tarkovsky and, and me just, just peppering that Brighton goal with set plays. And they only managed to get one out of those, which is unfortunate. Listen, we've written off Sean Dyche so many times. He comes back. I think there's just a slight concern off the field as well for me. I'm not sure he signed that new contract yet. Let's see what happens. But we have cut them from five to two to six to four after that opening day defeat. I was going to say as well. Surely Dyche looks at someone. I mean, I know that he's he's got a, a 
more of a track record in top top flight football. How long can he keep doing it though, George? That's the thing. That, I mean, and I'm sure he'll be aware that it's much better for him to eventually take one of these jobs that he must have been courted for in the last couple of seasons and ensure that it's not going to be a case of, of him having to, you know, his stock is high now. As soon as they drop into that bottom three, that all changes very quickly. Chris Wilder was being linked to the Arsenal job six months before he ended up being sat from Sheffield Chef- United. You know, it's, yeah, he'd take, a champ- he'd, take, he'd take a championship job now, wouldn't he? Things change very, very quickly. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm a massive fan of Sean Dyche and I think he's done an incredible job there. And it would be unfair of him, us to expect him to continue to do that season on season. Yeah. What's your tip then for this game, George? Well, I don't know if you've had a look at who's on the whistle, Dan, but it is all punters' friend uh, Mike Dean taking charge of the game at Anfield. And as soon as soon as you see that Penalty. Mike Dean, see, no, no, I'm, I'm going to the cards market. As soon as you, as soon as you see that man has got the whistle uh, around his neck, you've got to go straight to the card markets and have a look at what's available. And I, I saw in my research that Burnley, um, Burn, that one 0 win to Burnley at Anfield last season, Mike Dean was also on the whistle then as well and gave three bookings. One of which was to Fabinho, who I think we can expect will probably come in at centre midfield uh, on Saturday in the. Early kickoff here. Now, digging down to Fabinho's card stats, getting a bit nerdy here, uh, he has been booked six times in all of the last three seasons in the Premier League. Uh, given looking at the minutes played as well, it averages out that last season he was booked once every 4.75 games, the season before once every 3.85 games, and the season before that 3.72 games. Now, that might look like it's trending in the wrong direction in terms of him being booked f- less times uh, as we're getting uh, along in his career. But remember that last season he was playing centre back for a majority of that and you are far more likely to be booked playing as that holding midfielder especially against a team like Burnley who not only will be playing on the counter-attack but also have certain characters Ashley Barnes for example who might enjoy getting into that physical battle and trying to rile the Liverpool players so the 9-2 for me uh, of Fabinho being shown a card looks just too big both in terms of stats itself and because we've got the um, the card happy should we say Mike Dean uh, in charge of proceedings and also just stylistically given the role that Fabinho is likely to play Cordy you were right about being nerdy Dan I saw you fall asleep there Steve <laughs> Right then, let's look at the tea time game on Saturday evening then Brighton versus Steve's favourite team Watford yeah, Brighton. We'll start with Brighton. We won't, won't talk about Watford too much. There's shivers down my spine hearing their name. But <laughs> Brighton, Steve, substitutions. Change the game for yeah, Potter. Of course, yeah. yeah. And and I think Brighton are a lot of people's second favourite team, aren't they? Because they like Potter. They're going to be interested to see where he goes in his career. And listen, Brighton touched 28-1 to 1 in play last week at Burnley. That's a that's a big old price, especially with them being in the, under the pump so much in that first half as we mentioned as well. Uh, Shane Duffy was a rare starter for them as well. Um, George knows I, 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 mm. love, I love a player from set pieces and um, for him to come in the side, I think he had three, three or four attempts as well from a set play, which was great. People who want to be with Brighton have been with Brighton this season on the handicap and things like that. They're even money now for, to finish in the top half down the XG Kings and uh, they are odds on to win this game here against Watford. Um, this game has a history of being low score. I think only one of the last 10 games actually had over two and a half goals as well. And, and while Brighton are favourites to win, I think we are expecting, um, according to the markets, a low scoring one in this. Yeah. Well, Watford, the biggest surprise of the weekend, George. It certainly surprised me. Sobered me well, up pretty quickly in that first half. <laughs> I don't want to jump on the bandwagon here of Steve's Villa bashing, but my my first note here on, on my on my laptop says Villa a shambles, uh, which I think oh, might I sum up a, a little bit. I, th- I think it's it's it would be easy to get carried away 
um, especially by the aesthetic of, of Watford being 3-0 up at home to Villa on opening day because Villa were a mess, you know, defensively just a total and utter mess. And Watford had so much joy every time springing them on the counter. I mean, Ishmael Asar had Matt Target on toast um, all yeah. day. And I'm not necessarily convinced that they are going to have it that easy consistently. Um, Brighton, I think, stylistically plays into their hands a little bit again. We know what Brighton will do. They will look to dominate possession in kind of the middle third of the pitch. They'll look to press hard as soon as they lose the ball in a similar way to how Dean Smith likes his Villa team to play as well. Probably a little bit based. So that should suit uh, Ismail Asar again and Emmanuel Dennis with the space in behind Dennis getting a debut goal. Um, and looking at the, again, getting nerdy for you here with some stats, looking at the passing stats from the game against Villa, uh, of their 317 attempted passes, 63 of them were long balls and 40 on top of that were headers, which just shows the attritional style of play that Watford were looking to do, basically just get the, the fast players in behind, launch it long and try and turn the defenders. And that, I guess, is what, what will happen here. Um, so am I rethinking my, my views on Watford as being one of the likely teams to go down on the back of it? Definitely not. I think they're still going to have their work cut out and this will be a, a harder test. Fully, fully agree with that. Now, do either of you know anything about Cucho Hernandez, who scored with his first touch against Villa at the weekend? Lovely goal. Either of you know anything about him? I know I cheated it. Um, also, <laughs> I know, I, also, Dan, we, I think we dropped a bit of a ricket. We're, we were actually 14 to 1 him to be top Watford goal scorer this season. So I'm going to be, uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, What's the price yeah, now? I wish it. I wish I'd have, well, it won't be 14s, George, believe me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I think that needs uh, another look at it. But uh, yeah, it's so I think uh, I think we might have dropped a rick on that one. Well, one man who does know an awful lot about Cucho is Adam Leventhal, who's going to tell us a little bit more about him now. Hi there, it's Adam Leventhal here. And I hate to say I told you so, but I did flag Cucho Hernandez as my breakthrough star for Watford for this season. I'll be brutally honest though, I wasn't expecting him to make an impact within 49 seconds of coming onto the field. He's straight into the thick of things. Oh! It's been four years in the making, but it is a stunning introduction to English football. It was brilliant to see him in the sunshine with that flash of bright blonde hair and that beautiful smile curling the ball past Emmy Martinez for the third Watford goal. The background to him is that it was a goal four years in the making. He joined back in 2017. He originally had a loan spell at America de Cali back in his homeland of Colombia. And since then, there were further loans at Huesca, at Mallorca and Getafe. He could have been at Watford if things had been different, if they hadn't have been relegated in 2019-20, he may well have been at Watford a little bit earlier on. But now he's here and he's made a great impact and he is a classic Pozzo signing. They signed him from Deportivo Pereira in Colombia for only about £200,000. And that's what they do. Buy them cheap, buy them young, polish them up and then give them wings and let them fly and we will see how much of an impact he can continue to have in the Premier League. Quick word, his hero is Sergio Aguero. If he can make half the impact that Aguero had at Manchester City, then Watford fans who have already taken him to their hearts will be very, very happy indeed. Thanks very much to Adam and George. To finish on this game, you're down for the tip. 
Yeah, I know what Steve said about the expectation being for a low-scoring affair, and I want to take advantage of that and, and get with goals. Um, Brighton are a team under Graham Potter who generally are very good going forwards, but we saw them concede a lot of chances, especially in the first half against uh, Burnley before they switched from their four back into the usual five or three or five at the back, depending on, on how you want to look at it. Um Watford, as I say, I think will still get joy in behind as well. But even in their last 10 away games last season, the championship, when under Cisco, they were doing such good things and getting towards, the, the, the you know, getting their promotion out of the division. They only kept three clean sheets. So I think it's going to be an open affair. Both teams to score at 21 to 20 appeals. And you can probably add the over two and a half in there as well at seven to four. So I'm siding with goals, getting against the market. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game three that we're going to look at is Southampton versus Manchester United at 2pm on Sunday. Steve, were Leeds the perfect opposition for United or were they just that good and Bruno and Pogba in absolutely scintillating for? Yeah, they were They were fantastic, weren't they? They're they well publicised. Pogba's four assists in, in 68 minutes, of course, and you know, more than he had in, in 26 matches last season, of course. And and Bruno Fernandes with, the, with his hat-trick, which has seen him shorten both in the outright top goalscorer market into 6-1 to one and... 14 to into six to one for the for the PFA Player of the war, uh, Year award as well. So, I think you might be facing, or United may be facing an undercooked midfield as well this week. Uh, Romeo and 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 Ward Prowse haven't had a great deal of uh, pre-season football, which I think will be a concern for Southampton in in a in a game that Manchester United historically seem to uh, seem to tend to win by three goals to two, being a, a, a goal down with about three minutes to go, and they always seem to come back and. You know, perform magnificently. Um, so they are the outsiders down at six to one of the big four to actually win the Premier League, and sixty-six to one to go unbeaten away from home. And I think they need to leave the South Coast unscathed to match a record of Arsenal's invincibles of twenty-seven as well. So no doubt, where the market thinks that Manchester United will uh, will come away unscathed as well uh, this weekend. You know, you talk about where Leeds the perfect opposition, and I think it would be doing Leeds discredit to say that they that they're the perfect opposition for anyone to play against because under Marcelo Bielsa they are a very very good side however we've seen consistently over the last couple of years that Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are a very very good side against teams who step out and look to play against them they absolutely I mean the likes of Greenwood and Bruno with Pogba's through ball passing ability when they're spacing behind to exploit they are absolutely expert at doing it and that was the case here and I think that'll be the case on on Sunday against Saints as well because Sampton are a team who under Ralph Hasenhutl like to press high like to get the ball down like to, to send men forward and I think United will have more joy uh, it, it seems impossible otherwise and when you've got the likes of Pogba and Bruno Fernandes that was two world-class players at the very top of their game dismantling another Premier League side. It was breathtaking to watch. And when you consider 
the players who, who weren't in. You know, Sancho didn't start. Uh, you've still got um, Varane to come in. You've, you've got Cavani to come back to. Greenwood looking back on form as well. This United squad, it just showed how good they can be. It showed that as the performance level that this group of players, the group of players from last season, can perform too. And um, yeah, I think Saints will have a lot of trouble playing their normal game and trying to stop them. Who gets the man of the match in the instance of four assists and three, three goals? Who takes the man of the match award there? Because Bruno's got the ball, hasn't he? So surely it's Pogba. <laughs> just, trying, yeah. just trying to think how that would work. I think, I mean, I thought Pogba was extraordinary because it wasn't just four assists where, you know, he's rolled at two yards and someone's tapped yeah, in. Exactly. The, it, the, the, the level of creativity, the vision and the, the execution to pull it all off, it was as good a, a um, you know a, a performance as you're probably going to see at this level from a creative midfielder. Yeah. And my favourite goal of the weekend, it wasn't Cucho Hernandez against Aston Villa. It was actually Adam Armstrong's finish against Everton, Steve. Mm. Lovely finish, honestly. So composed on your debut to put that in the top bins like, like he did. Who would you say is the better natural finisher, Adam Armstrong or Mason Greenwood? Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, Greenwood's 19 and Armstrong's, you know, 24. You know, both are very good on, on, on both sides, both left and right. Greenwood's done it in the Premier League and Armour has, you know, one one goal in the top flight. I think I think different positions suit the, the players as well, Dan. I think Armstrong's best position is through the middle, as we found out at Blackburn. Well, well Greenwood is better either off the right or, or as a 10, I think. And fans of XG, I'll hop back to that again, but Greenwood's hot streak in the two seasons ago where he got 10 goals from uh, five, an XG of five with a 25% conversion rate. Yet it was so different last season where it was seven goals from around seven and just a 10% conversion rate. As you saw, you saw Armour last season, 45% of his uh, shots were on target, 10 from a left foot, 15 from his right, three headers. And I, 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 you can't see this, but I do have a, a, a signed um, shirt of Adam Armstrong actually on my wall. I do actually, uh, I think he's a fantastic footballer. But if you're asking me who's the better finisher, I would have to go with Greenwood, even though there's five years difference between the two. I think I think it's it's horses for courses as well, isn't it? I mean, I know I know who I want if the ball is coming across at an angle and he's firing it firing across the keeper into the um, into the far corner like he did yeah. on the weekend. It's Mason Greenwood. If it's running onto a ball, trying to sit the keeper down and uh, and lift it over him like Adam Armstrong did, it's probably him. I mean, th- those two goals encapsulated they're so well. Players, what, George, aren't they? Exactly yeah. what, what they're all about. And um, you know, it's great to see Armstrong doing it in the Premier League because he is I mean I mentioned it on the podcast last week he scores every single different kind of goal which is an amazing uh, skill to have as a striker whereas I think we know where Greenwood likes the ball and we know the way he likes to finish and his, you know the the laser accuracy of his finishes across the keeper I've, I've never seen anything like it it's um, you know he, he goes he kind of mixes the Jermaine Defoe style of, of smashing it with whilst also going for laser accuracy in the corner it's, uh, it's incredibly impressive for a young kid here's a, here's a prediction for you Mason Greenwood will win the PFA Young Player of the Year award this season. Good shout. Yeah, Good I, shout. Don't, that, I don't disagree. Is that, is that your tips, Dave? Or have you got another tip for us? Well, I, 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 yes, that is my one tip. And also, I do fancy I do fancy goals in this. I think a 3-2 repeat is, is 25-1, to one, Dan. But I'm just going to play a little bit safer and go with uh, over four and a half goals around the 4-1 to one mark. I like it. I like your thinking. Game four this week is a London derby. Arsenal against Chelsea. Relegation candidates against title contenders. Before we get into it, Arsenal correspondent Art De Roche has had a look at the areas Arsenal really struggled with against Brentford on opening night. So let's take a listen. 
Going into the Brentford game, I think a lot of people would have thought the absence of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Alexandre Lacazette would have a big effect. But in reality, Arsenal played as they had done throughout pre-season with a very big emphasis on Kieran Tierney on that left-hand side. Of course, we've all seen that he created uh, the most chances of any player in the Premier League in, uh, in the first game week. So that was something that is quite predictable with Arsenal's play. And I think with Martin Erdegaard coming in and Emil Smith-Rowe, they, they should combine well together to kind of counteract that and make Arsenal's play a bit less predictable, less lethargic, because they did have a lot of struggles breaking into the final third. And that's the biggest area where, where they can improve. I think we touched on this last week, George, but Arsenal have obviously tripped up in their first game against Brentford. Chelsea is as tough as it gets on the second week and then Man City after that. You know, they're looking at potentially being bottom by the end of game week three. <laughs> Your word's not mine. <laughs> uh, no, but you, you are right. I mean, that that opening day, everything from the moment it transpired that uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette were out due to illness, of which we still know very little about what illness it is and whether or not they're going to be fit for this weekend. It meant that a lot of the players who... Arsenal fans are desperate to see were thrust on the pitch together on opening day of the Premier League and were well beaten by a Brentford side who just on the on the night were the better team. I mean, there's just no denying that on that evening, those two sides, Brentford, were just a better footballing team than Arsenal. And that is a hell of a pill to swallow for, for Arsenal fans. Um, they need the much maligned players, senior pros, they, they think they think they need them back, to be honest. They need them to find a way of getting some points on the board because Mikel Arteta is undoubtedly now under a lot of pressure after that opening day defeat and looking at the fixture list, as you mentioned, it's difficult for him to see where the uh, where the next wins are going to come, come from. I mean, Chelsea are 3-4 to four in this game with Bet365. That is incredibly short for Chelsea travelling to, to the Emirates. I'd love to know the historical prices of that fixture for the last five or six seasons. There's no way it's ever been that short. And that is in itself um, a statement on where Arsenal are now as a football team. You know, they're going to get Martin Odegaard in, who was part of their mediocre side last season. He's obviously undoubtedly a talent but him alone isn't going to be enough to take them from from where they were uh, last weekend up to where they think they should be so it's you know they they Arsenal have a have a bit of a history of these um these good ends to season and then coming back the season after when there's a bit of optimism around the place and it immediately not transpiring to be as uh, as positive as, as the fans hoped and yeah it was a shocking start to their season George, they were exactly the same price last season on, uh, on Boxing really? Day. Really? Chelsea, yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. Uh, and of course, that kind of kick-started Arsenal's season, I think. I think Smith-Rowe yeah. came into the side and um, they went on to be the fourth best side in 2021, I think. And we've also got a market on how many points Chelsea, uh, Arsenal get over those next two games against Chelsea and Manchester City. So it's 7-5 to five that they start the season with three defeats on the bounce and get zero points and actually 33-1. to one to win both games against Chelsea and Manchester City. We think one to two points out of the two games at 15 to eight, with three to four points at nine to four. So clearly for them to beat both teams is a is a big old prize. But let's not forget, they did do the double over Chelsea last season. I'll be shocked if they score a goal across the first three games, to be honest, <laughs> after, after, after watching it the night. Yeah, I'm trying to be positive, Dan. I'm trying to put a positive spin on things, yeah. And just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, George... 
Uh, Pops Lukaku to Stamford Bridge, not really who they want to be facing, is it? No, it's not. Um, you know, I, I can repeat myself from last week, um, but I don't think anyone wants to hear that. It's just, it's a, it's an unbelievable signing. And, and when you look at the embarrassment of riches that Chelsea already have, you know, last, uh, on opening day, they could just um, rest the Champions League winning uh, goal scorer Kai Havertz, one of the most uh, exciting prospects in, in English football rest him on opening day bring him on, on with 10 minutes to go and then you can add, add Lukaku to that attacking talent as well uh, and Gole Kante to come back to it's just they are um, have so much quality and uh, any doubts that, that maybe this Chelsea side was a bit of a flash in the pan under Thomas Tuchel last season I mean they were imperious against against Palace we don't know how strong that form is of course we know Palace under Patrick Vieira are a work in progress at best um, they didn't impress on the day at all uh, a lot of war signs from people who watched Patrick Vieira's side last season uh, over in France that it wasn't a great deal to suggest that he is a, a top tactician at the moment um, but they couldn't have done it any more impressively and, and Trevor Chalabar as well coming in um, yeah. to the side and looking so impressive so yeah I mean Lukaku coming in is just um, another incredible bit of business I mean I'm not talking financially a bit of business but purely in, in footballing terms um, is he the missing part of the puzzle? I, I I don't I didn't know if there was necessarily a part missing to start with, but he certainly helps. George Lukaku, we have a market on his goals this season as well, and it's, so we're, we're six to one him to get fifteen or fewer goals, and we're actually seven to only seven to two him to get twenty five or more. So huge respect for a for a player that a number of years ago managed to score seventeen for a for a West Bromwich Albion side. So you can imagine what he's going to do in this type of side as well. I'm looking forward to see how he does, and of course, and I know he'll have his backers as well. Particularly the each way thieves like yourself, George, with four places available well, in the top goal scorer market as well. In- interesting, you said that. Well, I mean, I, I, my my tip for this one is a Lukaku based, um, and it is a bit of each way thievery, maybe. Um, but I, I'm very surprised to see where he's priced up in the in the goal scorer market on the day. Uh, he's seven to two first goal scorer. He's eleven to two uh, to score two or more. He's eleven to ten to score any time. And now to put that into context, you know, eleven to ten means that he's you know, just under 50% chance of him scoring a goal on the day. Um, given that Chelsea are three to four favourites, so, you know, their goal line itself is is well above one and they're expected to score. If you're looking around other players in the Premier League this weekend, um, Bruno Fernandes is pretty much the same price uh, for Manchester sorry, for Manchester United at Southampton. You've got Ilkay Gundogan is odds on to score against Norwich. Jack Grealish is 11-8 to to score against Norwich. I mean, I I think that is a total misrepresentation of of the likelihood of of Lukaku scoring if he does get on the pitch here. I I cannot imagine in three weeks, four weeks, if... um, when Chelsea are that price to win a game of football, Lukaku will still be seven to two to score um, to score the first goal. I think that's probably the way to play this one as well, because with Lukaku coming into the side early, often with new signings, you can see them um, making way. Uh, even if you're after a good performance, he might come off fairly soon. But I think that is definite value. When you think that Mohamed Salah is often kind of fifteen to eight, seven to four to score first, and the way they're priced up side by side in the top goal scorer market, um, yeah, I, I think that is. I think that price is basically there because there's no data at the moment. He hasn't played for Chelsea yet. Um, there's no goal-scoring data in the Premier League in the last couple of seasons. But I, uh, I'm pretty confident in its value. And, and of course, if Lukaku doesn't start and he comes onto the pitch when a goal's already been scored, then you get your money back anyway. So, so no harm done. There was a podcast on the Athletic Football Show feed earlier on the week where Flo and myself spoke to Liam Toomey, the Chelsea writer, about Chelsea season. So if you do want to hear more about Chelsea, go back and listen to Wednesday's podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the brand new Athletic Football Podcast and this is what we have planned for you across our network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman Podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General. Give you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. Let's finish then with the televised games. It's Monday night football. West Ham United against Leicester City. 8pm kickoff, and Evergreen Jamie Vardy George just shows absolutely no signs of slowing down at all. It was my favourite goal of the weekend. I think it, Lovely and not, finish. And not just the Premier League. I, it was also, I liked it too. I liked it too, guys. It was, it, it was a yeah. good finish. It was the uh, the, the Pereira um, nutmeg as well to start it and rolling between two of them, the ball in, and then just an unbelievable finish. There aren't many. Um, strikers in the Premier League I think who'd have the tenacity to get there in front and also the the finishing ability to to loft that ball into the roof of the net a brilliant finish and he's just I, I don't see any reason why he would slow down I mean I remember I did a podcast about a year ago with um, with Gary Taylor Fletcher who's an old teammate of his from Leicester and he said that in, in the game itself everybody who knows Jamie Vardy doesn't understand why he can't keep doing this for five or six years because he's still the fittest guy in the Leicester squad he's still the fastest guy in the Leicester squad he defies all logic in terms of how old he is um, and you know for Pats and Dakar and, and uh, Kelechi Iheanacho I'm sure Dak has come in hoping he'll be the successor but he might have to bide his time as good a player as he is so um, yeah incredible finish I thought Leicester on the day were maybe a bit disappointing um, you know we saw their with Pereira and Vardy, two moments of real quality to win a game of football where Wolves probably created the better chances. Uh, Adama Traore caused Leicester no end of problems and, and surprisingly for him, I mean, that's not a surprise there, but he was getting himself into decent goal-scoring opportunities as well. I think he had four shots on the, in, on the day itself. So I think the scoreline maybe flattered Leicester a little bit uh, mm. and going into this one, it's a tricky game against West Ham side who, who came back from a difficult position against Newcastle. Yeah, top shit house celebration as well. <laughs> Howling in front of the, in front of the Wolves fans. 
Only Jamie Vardy can do something like that. I think any other player would try doing anything like that. Steve, could this be Saeed Benrahma's year? Off to a good start to the season, looked lively. He looked great, didn't he? I think he was probably the furthest player up the pitch as well. Um, he's had a cracking pre-season with goals and assists. And of course, if you think back to his time at, at Brentford, where the season before he joined West Ham, 17 goals and nine assists. Season before that, 10 goals and 15 assists. So he brings both to the party, which is great. And he's he's, he's had a season there now at West Ham. And I think he's, he's, this season is going to be um, a big one for him. You can just feel it. I know there's a lot, a lot of workload on Antonio. So it'll be great for him to, to get a few goals as well, take a little bit of a pressure off. I think West Ham still need a striker, by the way. But he was 6-1, to one, actually, to be top scorer in pre-season. I had a look at that um, earlier as well. So things are looking up for him. And certainly, I, I was unsure whether West Ham... I'm still unsure. Clearly, it's a big ask for them to do anything what they did last season, which is absolutely fantastic to be in a Champions League race. Um, them and Leicester, Leicester, of course, both and unfortunately both missed out. But I'm excited to see how, how Ben Rama does this season. Yeah, and George, last season, David Moyes did the double over Brendan Rodgers. Do you see it being a repeat or will there be revenge? Well, yeah, they scored three goals in both the games, didn't they? It was 3-0 and 3-2. Um, I think it would be a yeah, a brave call to say that they're going to do the same again. But as I mentioned, I thought Leicester um, looked a little bit short, I must say, uh, against against Wolves. We don't know what Wolves are this season yet, so that could, no. um, in a couple of weeks, look a bit different. But West Ham in the second half, I mean, that front four of Antonio, Ben Rama, Fornals and Bowen looked really, really sharp. And I, yeah, ben I thought Fornals was very good. Really good. A player who I think yeah. a lot was expected of him and he hasn't really performed yet in a West Ham shirt. Uh, interesting to see Ben Rama playing more centrally or give him a bit more of a free roll. I think that Jesse Lingard's arrival last season um, in January probably stunted any progress Ben Rahman was going to make. And I was surprised to see how little impact he did make in his debut season because he is a very, very good footballer. Um, and with you know Declan Rice and Thomas Salchek as well, suddenly this West Ham team looks so solid. Um, I think it's going to be a great game. I, I wouldn't really... You know, gladly for me, Steve's the one who's providing the tip here because I found it very hard to find much value uh, between two sides who I think are pretty evenly matched. Uh, and if I had to say, you know, I'm some, probably somebody who values Brendan Rodgers' ta- tactical acumen above D- D- David Moyes', but the history books certainly show that Moyes has the better of his counterparts. So, um, yeah, a really tight one. Looking forward to seeing it. Go on then, Steve. What is your tip? Well, there's only been one nil-nil, Dan, in the last 25 games between these two sides. So, historically, there has been... A number of goals. Um, I like West Ham last season were great, weren't they, from set pieces. They may have been the the high scoring side from set pieces last season. Leicester City had their problems. Um, Craig Dawson is a player that I know a lot about. He'll run through a brick wall for you. He's great at set pieces. He's not the tallest, but he's great in the air. I think he can take advantage. You know, Leicester gave up a few chances last week against Wolves as well. Kilman had a few chances, didn't he? Uh, I think yeah. even Connor Cody was spotted in the box as well. So I'm going to go for Craig Dawson to get up the mark this season. I think he's around the 10 to 1 mark to score at any time. So that's where I'm going to play, Dan. Before we depart then, let's get a top tip from both of you for the weekend. George, you're up first. As much as I want to say Fabinho's yellow card, I, I think Lukaku at 7-2 first goal scorer is the, is the better of the weekend. Uh, I just I just know that um, yeah, if this fixture was taking place in, in six weeks, uh, it would be a lot shorter than that. Um, so I'm excited to, to to hopefully see him get off the mark uh, in his second Chelsea career. Yeah, I'm going to go for goals down on the south coast at St Mary's in a in a fixture that that normally produces a lot of them as well. We've talked about the Southampton midfield. We talk about Manchester United's midfield and the 
full of confidence, keeping that uh, unbeaten record away and trying to equal Arsene Wenger's record as well at 27 games unbeaten. I'm going to go for over four and a half goals, Southampton versus Manchester United. Thanks very much, guys. And there's just enough time to remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic and benefit from the insight of some of the best sports writers in the business. You can do that at the moment for just £3.33 a month by heading to theathletic.com slash Ornstein. Thanks to George and Steve for joining me. And listeners, if you want to hit subscribe so you never miss a show, that would be great. And leave us a review too, if you're feeling generous. We'll be back next Friday morning. Have an excellent weekend. Cheers. The Athletic.